I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome, closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you from the world headquarters here in Austin, Texas. Today I have Joe Edgar with Tenant Cloud and Austin Local. Always great to have guests from kind of adjacent verticals. Uh, Tenant Cloud is kind of in and not in the vertical in terms of what we think of, of traditional residential property management. They're representing both sides of the equation here, and this is, they got some really interesting stuff cooking. So should be a great episode, Joe. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's jump right in with background. How did you uh, wind up to where you're at now, running Tenant Cloud? Yeah, great question. Uh, I mean, uh, my first investment property I bought it was about 14. Grew up on a Native American reservation in Southern Oregon. That's why when you said Portland, I'm like, yeah, hey, that's my, that's my okay. home ground. Um, I was one of about 13 kids. My father swung a hammer. My mother was a janitor. So uh, I was the labor force. <laughs> I just taken those skill sets when I was about 14 and bought my first one on the reservation. Fixed it up in 60 days. Uh, floated my first down payment even. <laughs> and then was going to carry the note. Got the local hardware store, uh, Kircher's uh, Coast to Coast is what the hardware store is called. They gave me a small loan so I could buy things to fix up and spend every night and weekend I can fixing this place up and then sold it for 45 and then started buying more ever since. So you got hooked on it. Just kind of uh, grew that into a nice, my next ones were where they had no foundations. And so we were literally buying some trash and having to really make them nice. Um, and that grew into what was originally just kind of a fix and flip thing when I was young into paying for my school. And then, uh, we turned that into like, I mean, I skipping a few years, but we started a business in Brazil from there. We did a number of things, but um, catching forward, we started one, it was in 2003, I think, and properties were appreciating so fast that um, I buy it and, you know, within days, people would offer me $20,000 more. So we stopped selling everything and we just turned it into a rental business at that point. And then we started buying land and just putting up neighborhoods. And so it grown so big. And then from there, um, I was doing a lot of stuff with Wells Fargo where I'd buy their re all their repos kind of in bulk. I'd buy five to 10 at one time. And uh, they started offering me larger loans connected to lots of properties. And so um, we started doing hard money loans. And so I was pretty deep into the real estate industry, just growing not so familiar with all the terminology, uh, but very familiar with the way things operate and the way it worked. And from there, I started doing loans on these businesses and these businesses were successful to the point where I just get my loan back and I find out, man, I didn't get anything other than my interest <laughs> back and I the this game. company. And I was very active in helping these businesses, you know, just learn. And so that's the first time I'd heard the word angel investing or investing in equity. It was a whole, or the word venture capital was new to me. And so uh, I became pretty heavy into that for a while and raised a small fund, just focused on kind of startups in Oregon. And then uh, from there, um, we were about to head into a recession, so I did an honors thesis and predicted three cities that would kind of uh, win the wave of the uh, recession that we had as far as real estate was concerned. I didn't think it would be that as big as it did. Uh, but Austin, Texas was one of those. And so I wanted to get involved in the Federal Reserve, ended up coming down here and joining Governor Perry and helped him. Hit. They were working on a lot of startup and had a number of funds. And so I came here and uh, did that and still had all my real estate, tried to 1031 everything I could into Austin. 
uh, but it had grown just too big that there was no way. Um, so I did move a lot. I do have some apartment buildings still here to this day and that I bought sight unseen. And so if you've ever been up to Reagan High School or the St. John's neighborhood, um, probably not the best place to own property, but I do have a lot of those apartment buildings. So if you go around there, that's, uh, you know, now we have been doing a lot to kind of clean up that neighborhood. But, but that's where um, it really started is uh, I had known now I'd had our, our own property management company. We had now moved. And so I had I have properties in um, Utah. We have some Arizona. We have some in Oregon that all use either a different property management company. So I was familiar with four different softwares that focus on property mm. management mm. software. And so here I was in Austin, Texas, and we got in the middle where I had to basically fire my property manager. Um, they were using a software solution themselves. And as I had to take it on myself, I was like, man, this is a bit frustrating. I need some software. So I went looking at the software platforms that I'm already familiar with. And I'm like, this isn't really my need. Like I'm self-managing. I need something to go to the day to day. I'm like, you know, just on one property alone, I tracked the time that it was taking me. And, you know, I'd have a broken fridge. Um, I ended up having to call around to get everything, you know, and the fridge ended up leading to what turned out to be a small leak under the kitchen and there was some dry rot. And so to get bids for all of that, to get someone to go there, set it up, to get while a tenant was there, to get them arranged. So, you know, I, trying to get, I think I ended up with like six bids or six contractors went to look at it, but only three contractors gave me bids. And then once I picked one, then setting it all back up, I mean, by the end of that, that was almost a week and a half and it cost me, you know, close to 40 hours of my time in my entire weekend. Mm. And that's just one of the properties, just one unit. And so I was like, this is crazy. And so the longer I looked, I'm just like, there is no software that's solving the problem. It's just data entry. That's all they're doing. I was like, that is not my problem at all. I don't want to enter anything. All this is, should be automated. I was like, I'm just looking to solve that problem, which is fix, get somebody to fix that and give me bids. Let me select it and pay you. I was like, that shouldn't take that long. And so that's what Tenant Cloud is. We looked in the market. There was nothing out there um, that even came close to solving this problem. Um, we kind of delved into how many do-it-yourself landlords, you know, am I alone or are there lots of us? And it turns out that kind of the do-it-yourself landlord um, makes up the largest industry in this country. So it is the largest small uh, medium enterprise business in the country. There are 15 million do-it-yourself landlords. They manage 23 million single family homes and they house almost 63 million tenants. And so when we found that out, I'm like, that is definitely a proposition I need to go after. So here I was, I was with Governor uh, Perry, I morphed out of there, went with the Obama administration with US Treasury to manage uh, some other venture capital funds. So very heavy in venture capital. And so I'm seeing these tech companies grow up every day and I'm helping them on the more on the investor side. And I said, well, this is crazy. I mean, uh, I'll just create my own solution. And so in 2014, we did just that. We created Tenet Cloud on its basis. And the idea really is, is end-to-end -end solution of all of your property management needs. It allows the tenant and a service professional to be engaged inside of, the, inside of this entire experience. And what it does is it automates all your accounting. So all your accounting is now automated. So when problems come through, I could be sitting here, my phone could buzz, and you know, the same problem that I just explained to you, I could see a picture and a video of it, hit a button to get bids, and now then wait for those bids to come in, select one, and then the tenant and the, and the service professional can now be connected. So I don't have to even be part of it. They can figure out their own schedule and I can have access to see. But then as soon as they're done, I can request like a final video and then pay him, and I'm done. 
So what was over 40 hours is now done in a couple of seconds, you know, on an easy kind of a quick platform that, <laughs> that is free and accessible basically to anyone around the world. So we're in 60 countries. Um, we're obviously focused on just the U.S., but we found that to get uh, access to such technology, it's a global problem, not just in the U.S. So. Right. That's kind of a long read, but that's the story <laughs> of uh, Yeah, I got I to jump in here at some point. Oh, that was a mouthful. So the last bit that you just said of being in 60, company, 60 countries, I'm assuming that you have staff in, only in the U.S. Uh, no, actually, we have an office in Europe. We have one in Chicago and one here in Ottawa. But clearly, boots on the ground is not a requirement for exactly. actually being. All right, so this tech companies that we don't have much on that. Yeah. It's the DNA of a tech company being remote. So you mentioned this really interesting, colorful career in terms of actually getting to SaaS. Did you have any background with SaaS prior to founding this company? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so when I was about 15, I ended up going to our local school at the Chilliquin, which is in Southern Oregon. There's a town about 30 miles from it, which is uh, Klamath Falls. And in Klamath Falls, there's a little school called OIT, uh, Hoop for the Owls, for anyone who knows of it. And so I started studying C++ at that time. So I do have a background in it, even though I basically have really, everybody keeps me away from the tech <laughs> as much as possible. But I did start out as a young age, kind of messing around in the, in the tech side. Got it, okay, so. That was early, I mean, that was like, our first thing was assigning everybody an email address. <laughs> so you were not the one that was <clears throat> programming or building this, that's what All right, so the, the connecting the dots here, going from your own investments, your own real estate, scratching your own itch, dog fooding, really a, a classic founder story of solving a problem for yourself because you have the highest ability to really QA, it's actually, it's utility. When you talk about Tenant Cloud as a solution, you mentioned a couple of things that are really interesting. You mentioned automating the accounting. What exactly do you mean by that? Oh, great question. So, um, I mean, most do-it-yourself landlords, because they're a professional as something other than being a landlord, the whole idea and concept of what goes into being a landlord is kind of just out there. What they don't know is at the end of the year, what they have to report to the IRS is their schedule. It's a subform under a 1040. And so when you're trying to produce this, they definitely know about it when it comes tax time and they're like stressed out of their mind. They're looking at this drawer full of receipts and maybe a spreadsheet that they have no idea or remember what they're in there. And they stress and they basically look at last year's form and they make this year's look as close to it as possible because it's just a daunting task that they're never going to do. So most of them, you know, kind of just grit their teeth and hope like I hope the word audit never comes my way because they have no idea how it performed. So in TinCloud, what we've done is said, well, to really build the basis on accounting, um, and have that be the heart of it and automate it means that we can now do a lot of that for you. So for example, that same idea that I told you before, my tenant sends me a picture of a broken fridge. Um, I'm able to look at the video. Well, they went through four quick sections to pick what the item was that they need to report. And we now match that to your accounting expense categories. And then we match that all the way through to the IRS categories. So when they submit that maintenance request, when you go to pay them, it's categorized for your accounting. And then when you go to run your end of the year report, we have a schedule quick report for you. You run it and it's all ready for you. In fact, you can track your depreciation, you can track your loan, your amortization in there, everything. And so that's really the heart is it's fully automated, more of a way to be intuitive when you're using the experience. You don't mm -hmm. think you're doing accounting, but that's really at the heart of almost everything you do in this business. And so we've just made sure to build basically a translator around everything you're doing that matches back to a transaction. So you don't have to sit there and say, okay, this is a transaction 611, I'll match it over here and do my you know, adjusting entry. That's all done for you. All you're doing is the decision making. 
you're saying, okay, I have a broken fridge. I need a fix. Give me a bid. I'll pick this one. I'm going to pay that guy. Done. Schedule form is ready for you at the end of the year. So tax is part of the accounting equation. And trust accounting more broadly mm -hmm. is a bigger conversation that a lot of property management entrepreneurs don't fully appreciate when they get into it. Your average real estate agent wants to hang a shingle, not fully appreciating that for most small businesses, the idea of doing a million in revenue and having another million that you just need to hold on and make sure <clears throat> nothing bad happens to, some serious responsibility. Some folks would look at the DIY self-managing model, software assisted or not, and say, hey, there's, there's so much liability associated with this. You don't know all the laws. You're gonna get, gonna get yourself in trouble. How do you respond to the, the notion of professional versus self-managing from a, a liability and a risk perspective? Yeah, great question. I mean, there's, there's two facets there. One of them is the core issue we're solving is for just that basic DIY, right? But the DIY, especially in the changing environment that's happening in real estate, a lot of agents don't realize that they are the future to be played in that role. They don't think they are right now, but they, they really are. Um, what we currently call property management, we think of property management just being um, this thing, it's out of the box, it's like you manage the property, you do everything and I do nothing. But software solutions like ours have come along and they really help automate the entire back office. And so now a real estate agent can come in and assist a DIY in an a la carte service that rates so many more doors that never existed before. But in order to do that, you now have to know exactly where your question came from is that trust accounting. Because now you could be managing your own accounting. You also could be managing the accounting for um, now all these different owners or DIYs that you're assisting. So having a proper accounting that manages that is extremely important and doing it. Um, to manage through the liability of it, I think that comes one on your entity structures. I don't, I'm not wanting to get into a legal conversation. Sure, that works. Sure. <laughs> but uh, I will say at the heart of it is to maintain that you do have an intent, intuitive accounting software that makes sure all parties are fully transparent. And so that's why we didn't just say, we're just not just gonna give you your account and then you keep everything and then there's this owner who randomly every once in a while maybe gets a report or something or she and then they're supposed to just trust you. We involve all in this ecosystem. And so you have your tenants that have their own individual accounts of which pay. So when you create a transaction, it's immediately live to them. So there's no more question about what the balance is. Both of you see it live. The exact same thing for your owners. And for owners, I mean, those are, you know, whether owners you're working for, and it gets complicated as soon as you have owners who are now married and then they're divorced or they created partnerships. They all have different percentages. And so being able to manage that is what Tenant Cloud has successfully done. Um, we have the entire ecosystem in there, where now each one can log into their own account and see exactly live what is happening in their property. Well, and that is part of that transparency. So whenever the end of the year their 1099s come out, there's not that many questions because they've already seen it live daily. Let's make some direct comparison. The tenant portal is kind of a weak spot for a lot of property management softwares, tends to get the short end of the stick. So if you're making direct comparison about the um, the the owner or tenant portal experience within Tenant Cloud, mm -hmm. as opposed to some of the other big names, building a map, folio, propertyware, et cetera. Right. What are like meaningful points of differentiation? Great, great question. I'm glad you asked that. And I have accounts to all four of them. So one of them, you got to think of what their business model is to see why their offering it is the way it is, because their offering makes sense for what they're doing. Their business model is selling software to a property management company. Right. That is the customer. Right. And so they are trying to offer the customer the best product they can. And so they offer them a tool that they can input and keep track of their business. And so because their customer has this pain of these tenants, 
they're like, all right, well, we'll give a way that they can like log into the back end of our so- to our software, enter their name, their unit, and pay us with an e-check. Mm-hmm. They're like, great, okay, really we'll simple. Take it. Real simple. Or if they have a maintenance request, log and tell us your name and like type a description, right? And then you have an owner who says, okay, well, you also have owners, you're a customer, but you have owners we know, so here's what we'll do. We'll let you create these PDF reports and we'll give them a login. They log in and they can see all the reports you already emailed them. <laughs> that's it. Mm. <laughs> We're like, great, that is Yardy, that is uh, Propertyware, which is RealPage, that is Appfolio, and that's Buildio. So that's all of them have that exact experience. And so Tenant Cloud is very different. We're a consumer model. So we don't see, the customer isn't just the property manager. We're a consumer, so we're trying to work with all users, and each one of them are uniquely our customer. (laughs) And so for a tenant, we want to give you something that's on your phone, your own app, your own account, so you can securely keep track of all your information for applications or anything. So you can now apply to anyone. Think of it as like your LinkedIn for tenants. And so they can keep all of their information. They have their own history of their maintenance requests. So let's say they have a landlord that doesn't repair things. They can now submit things to them. And if it never goes anywhere, they do have an actual record of that being submitted. They have a record of all their applications. They have a record of all their lease agreements. They can sign their lease on it and store it inside their phone. And they have all their payment history right there. They can keep their banking information in there and not have to share any of their, uh, what normally is on a check is actually quite a bit information, they don't have to do any of that. We actually encrypt the payment side of it with mm. Dwala. And so everything is mm. now to the tenant safe and secure that they don't have to pass any of that on. And then the exact same thing to an owner. An owner now has a login where they can see a history of all the maintenance requests. They can look at a piece of property and look at the equipment. So it's like got a refrigerator. Well, how many times I fix that refrigerator? Here are all the maintenance requests assigned to it. And so they can look at their own depreciation schedule. They can input their own loan and manage it. So as an owner, you have your own account, of which is great, you can add in multiple property managers. So like my case, it's unfortunate that I have too many properties with all these different software solutions because the property management companies use them. And I even have two of them that use AppFolio and I can't even tie those together. So now I gotta remember every login to every single one of them is a nightmare. Tenant Cloud, if you're an owner, you can now attach to any property manager. So you can have multiple and you can manage your entire portfolio in one place. So that's the idea is really see the owner finally as a customer, as a user, and give them an experience that they are needing instead of just saying, well, the property manager is my customer. They're all I care about. I'm just doing this to appease them. Uh, We see them all as users and we try to build something around each one's experience. So what you're saying about the business model makes sense in terms of who the payee is, but let's lean into that. What is Tenant Cloud's business model that enables this perspective? Yeah, great question. So again, back to you know what the traditional property management software, who the customers, they give them the software, they expect the property manager to pay them a monthly fee for that software. So uh, when I was doing this, I was like, that doesn't make any sense because I'm managing the property. So like I said in that example, I'm spending all weekend trying to find a contractor and I'm eventually going to give that contractor some money. And if you were to talk to all six of those contractors and said, hey, if you could get in front of me faster, would you pay a marketing fee? Every one of them, like, I do pay a marketing <laughs> fee. I'm either in the yellow books, I'm paying, you know, pay-per-click, I'm paying for search, I'm paying for everything, you know. In fact, uh, we found out that for carpet cleaners, carpet cleaners, although you think, you know, you get your carpet done for 150 bucks, they've paid almost $40 of that in marketing. Wow. That's how tight it is just to get a job. So then if you build that marketing, you say, wait a minute, if I can really build accounting software 
And then instead of marketing people, I bring them solutions that they're looking for now. I can charge those professionals an access fee to that marketplace and really make the asset be to the landlord where I no longer have to call all these people. I've just you know, basically made the entire process more efficient and I haven't disrupted the market as far as normal business practices because those professionals are already wanting to pay a marketing fee. But now, because of that, I've been able to give away the software for free to all the rest of the users. So I just found a way to bring property management software to an end user for free. Hey guys, this is Jordan, your show host, and also one of the founders of the Tribe Mastermind. I just wanted to give you guys a little shout out to let you know that we got something special going on with Tribe Mastermind. This is a high level mastermind for property management entrepreneurs that are interested in talking about the big picture. Yes, most certainly business, the tactical, the strategic, but also the big why behind why we're on this journey together. So if you're interested in learning more about Tribe, what this mastermind looks like, you can get more details at tribemastermind.com. Check it out. Love to see you there. It's really, really interesting. <laughs> All right. So for those of you listening at home, what may be going through your head is thinking about where is the money being shifted around from? Some property managers do maintenance markup already. Right? So this is a situation where that maintenance markup is kind of being displaced and shifted in this situation. You, the model here that I think of and what you're talking about is that of owning demand. If you can own demand, you're in a really strong position. How long or how, what kind of network effects did you need to have in order for this model to be viable? Did you start in one city, two-sided marketplace? I mean, these are some hard challenges. Like, how do you guys work? We definitely had to spend three years, uh, you know, losing money because we couldn't bring in revenue. <laughs> and so, wow. So three years is pretty heavy. We're a startup, but that is the cost. Because you're a consumer, Got it. you have to build All a right. critical mass of users yeah. that, that appreciate it. So we had to spend a lot of time um, basically just losing money to get users to say, hey, trust. And the, in the beginning, people were like, I don't trust it. Why are you free? And that was so frustrating because we're like, it's disruptive, yes, but to get that model. So we had to ultimately really show people it's like, you know, we're charging a fee to service professionals to get access to this platform. And now it is the gold standard for really in residential property management that they should get the product for free. So if you look at our competitive space, now the standard is, well, I expect it to be free. <laughs> and that was not so, uh, you know, four and a half years ago, we had to create that model across the industry. Uh, but now they kind of expect it, but it's it's bringing up the general standard. But mostly what they're getting out in the market as far as competitors is a background check or some basic rent payments. It's not a full accounting solution, which is a much heavier bill. Um, but, but that's really what the costs were. So we didn't start revenue until last year, uh, the kind of the middle of last year. Now it's been growing phenomenally. But, but yeah, it did, take a, it did take a lot to swallow on that. Got it. Well, that, that explains things. So can you give us any any size of the company? Because people here start up mm. and now they're, they're wondering, like, right. is this actually like, viable? Talk to me about a headcount, uh, units under management, transaction volume, what can yeah. you tell me? Yeah, yeah. so um, we're doing about 30 million a month in rent right now. So that's what we process. Um, and most of that is really nice to, to give you a, a seed of, or a little taste of why we're also different is we don't take a cut on this transaction as part of our model is really to stick to what our business model is. It's not part of the transaction. So we move right now about 30 million a month, but we don't take a cut in it. We've been able to make this transactions really be free. And so that's phenomenal. Um, we manage almost 400,000 properties on our platform. We're in, like I said, 60 countries. We're in every small town across the 
the U.S. What's interesting about that is most property management data that you get is more multifamily. Mm -hmm. So we're the first company to bring really the single family rental data to the world. uh, And that's because there's more single family rentals in rural areas. (laughs) Um, So we have them in urban areas. We're very heavy in suburbs. We're less heavy in downtown areas, obviously, Mm -hmm. because there's fewer of them and they're uh, usually, you know, using a, a larger property management software. And so for us, we really found our niche to be in single family rentals because it matches with property managers who are managing single family rentals. If you have a thousand units as a multifamily, then that's almost nothing. And you have somebody on site. If you have a thousand rentals as a single family rental, that's a huge burden. And so for them, they end up don't hiring staff to do maintenance requests. They again are hiring third party products and they do have a markup and you know, you can use that product to do that. But, but they're managing more of a solution where they would like bids. They would like to be able to get all that together. And so uh, our headcount, we're about a hundred people now. Um, so we have an office in Chicago. As I said, we are, our headquarters is here in Austin. And then we have a Europe office that uh, really has uh, pulled us down with a lot of the regulations that's going across Europe, um, which we know uh, there's laws about to change in California. And so we're trying to make it standard across the country to really protect users' data. And so it's it's uh, been you know growing pretty fast. Uh, so I don't know what other questions can I tell you about the, the startup world of, of where we are. We're definitely you know uh, in the startup vein. Uh, we get to be creative, we get to be quick to fix things, we're able to listen to our users. Um, We have an entire process. So if you use our software as any one of those users, you can submit, you know, uh, a ticket request where you maybe have information. We have a very large uh, customer support team, but you can also give us new ideas. And so what's great about being a startup and being kind of in our size is every single idea from every single user is categorized as a URO. That's user research and observation categorized and we literally have people research every single one of them and, and often as many of our users know we're reaching out to you to like now fine-tune that idea like tell us more tell us more and so we're taking that idea and that goes directly categorized to what features we're working on and then those literally ideas are built into what we're about to do so we can encompass say you know 10 10 different users experience on a specific specific idea we can now encompass that into what you know we're about to release. So as all of our users are very accustomed to, we have releases come out every six weeks. So if you saw the product 12 months ago from what it is today, it's uh, quite improved and we have lots of stuff coming, especially when it involves with agents. We have lots of things coming to uh, hmm. you know, advance them. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where we are. I love it. So I want to hear more about the agents, but before pivoting to that, the business model is predicated upon a platform to which these transactions are happening between different parties and different vendors. Let's kind of zone in on that. When it comes to the QA function of being able to make sure that the amount of oversight happened for the job to be done correctly, that there's not a lot of rework, there's proper scoping on the front side. These are challenging things, particularly as the type of the work gets bigger, the the bigger the job, right? So what do you do and what kind of stumbles have you had along the way in actually perfecting that? Yeah, it's a a great question because it is at the heart of uh, the issue. We've, We've ended up working with Home Advisor to kind of help that and home advisor um, that is what they do <laughs> that is their core business so they work with us a lot of the professionals and we basically work with selling them the leads right now as we are working on a product to really bring to market that allows users to put in their own criteria and so you could literally say to an owner okay i want someone who's been you know verified for two years in a row i want someone who's had these type of background checks and you can set your own settings so you're only getting bids from users that uh, meet your criteria so so there is a lot to uh, you know learn and to grow in that 
there's ratings and that complicates things in every which fashion, but that's what makes having a nice experience built around your specific business um, to be proper. Uh, the difference is, is if you go to, say, a solution, because it's not like we're the only solution where you can go and get bids, but if you just go, say, to another solution, just randomly put it out there, you are going to get every Tom, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> Whereas if you have one that's inside an industry, you can literally now look and say, okay, well, you have fixed dry rot in many other places. <laughs> so I can now literally compare you fixing dry rot on a rental and see other landlords in my area and how. You know, they've felt about your job. Yeah, so the context that you have around the types of the problems in this use case obviously allows for a depth that other people won't have. But when it comes to the QA piece, making sure the job was actually done right, what, how does that, that back and forth happen? It's, it's not so easy. So um, part of it is tenants will never say the job is done. It's not like never, but for the most case, tenants seem to not be very satisfied with any maintenance job that's ever fixed. And contractors are always a little more eager to say the job right. is done. Right. So that's the conundrum I think you're getting at the right. heart with. Right. And so what we've engaged is we said, okay, well, we have to kind of go through the closure process. And the closure process is the tenant can definitely tell the landlord if they think it's done or not. Um, the landlord ultimately decides whether or not the job is done. Um, but in between those times, they can request kind of a final picture or a final video if they don't want to go out there. So the contractor now has the ability to say, okay, well, I have to submit a final picture or a final video of the job being done, and then I can submit that for request, and then the landlord now has the ability. The landlord holds all the cards and saying when they'll pay or what's going on there. So, so the contractor, once they're done, they issue it, they send an invoice, it can be divided. So let's say it's a bigger job, let's say the the whole floor needs ripped out, but I need, you know, 30% upfront. So they'll create the original invoice, you know, the landlord pays the original invoice, and then they do some more and they can send little updates in that specific maintenance request, and then they can pay just as they go. What's nice is again, they're paying based on decision-making, they're not keeping track of the accounting because that's automated. But, uh, but yeah, so they can kind of see pictures if they don't ever want to go out there. So that's the closest way to it we could make it where the tenant can also give updates to say whether or not they think it's done, but we leave the, the actual paying decision-making to be in the line of tenant. Hey, Daniel Craig here with Profit Coach. You've probably heard Jordan talk on the podcast about the NARPM accounting standards that we authored on behalf of NARPM. This groundbreaking initiative standardizes financial reporting for the property management industry, and we're committed to helping as many companies as possible get on the standard this year. If you'd like to get converted, we'd love to help with one of our two conversion packages. The first gets you converted on a go-forward basis only, and the second actually converts you on a historical basis going back two full years, and that comes with a comprehensive financial performance report that provides a deep dive analysis of your financial performance in over 30 financial KPIs and compares your performance to key industry financial benchmarks. Go to pmprofitcoach.com forward slash NAS for details and be sure to mention this ad for a special 10% off discount. That's pmprofitcoach.com forward slash NAS. Let's talk about where the property manager fits in this paradigm by way of talking about disruption in the industry. You mentioned the agents earlier. Let's lean into that conversation. I know you guys have a significant relationship with Keller Williams. Keller Williams has recently, Gary in particular, has come out kind of swinging, saying, hey, we are a tech company, full-blown. We're, uh, I interviewed Jay Papasan, and he basically communicated that there's, there's been a lot of internal churn as they've really reoriented mission, et cetera. It's a big bet. 
I think most people are not inclined to bet against Gary Keller, but there's still some pretty significant change there. How do you see this playing out in relation to the agent being upskilled in this capacity, knowing that many professional property management companies look at that and they say, oh, the agent's never going to be able to do it. It's, it's infeasible. There's a lot of skepticism from where I sit, sit from a lot of the industry. What do you see that maybe other people don't? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a there's a, a great question. I, I'm going to have to preface the answer here to be hypothetical. Uh, I don't represent Keller Williams. We do have a relationship with Keller Williams. Uh, we've, I've gotten to know Gary very well over the last year. I do think Gary's probably the most uh, undervalued dog in the game right now. Uh, but what they're putting together is a pretty solid solution. So I'm um, very excited about what we're doing with them and what we're bringing to the market. Um, but other than that, I want to leave Keller Williams and let's just maybe just hypothetically fair, fair talk enough. about fair what's enough. at stake here. And really what's at stake in a game starts with some other market movers that may not seem related, but they're directly related. And that is these iBuyer programs. <laughs> and so iBuyer programs are popping up everywhere. And the question is like, all right, well, I guess the iBuyer program makes sense because in 2008 there was a recession and a bunch of companies bought in, you know, a bunch of single family rentals. And so they just are still doing it. You know, a lot of people are like, I, I don't even understand why mm -hmm. they would do that. because. Me personally, I started buying as single family rentals and then I scaled up and I can never imagine going back to single families. There's just a lot of transaction costs. And so you're like, well, why would they want to be involved in that? And when you really, you know, unfold that, you forget the heart of it is what these businesses are trying to get involved in is the commission trade. The commission trade is that six to 10% commission mm -hmm. that's going to happen on the exchange of the property. And so all they want is a really short term transaction. And so getting to there means you have to know who those users are playing about that property. And so all the rest of the industry that may not have a relationship with agents, agents, realtors, um, are really stuck having to literally own the property. Because if you own the property, you now know who are the decision factors for when you buy and sell that transaction. You also now control the decision factor of when that property gets bought and sold. And that means the commission on the trade, it means the you know um, mortgage of which they're gonna do, because all of them, as you see upstream, they're getting involved in mortgages, right. they're getting involved in title insurance, they're mm -hmm. getting involved in home Full insurance. Stock. They want the entire thing, because that is what gets them to that 10%. So imagine a Zillow now being able to buy a house and literally making like 12% in three months on a house that they you know, are using data to try to buy the house 10% um, under market sure. and then do a transaction. So it's really at the heart of it is that transaction. So we're also the home um, of Austin. We have another company, Bungalow. They raised 250 million. Um, they claim you know, they have close to like, I think it's like 1.2 billion at their disposal. And they're out doing the same thing, buying single family rentals. And even all of the industry buying single family rentals only make up one and a half percent of all the single family rentals. So this is like, you know, mm -hmm. as much money is moving around as like, you know, pittance in compared to the industry, but still it equates to a lot in transactions. So at the heart of that understanding is the information of who's involved in the transaction. So imagine you have a company that is one of the largest in the world at working with agents and those agents are trying to sell houses, of course, as they, as they do. And imagine saying, okay, well, what if we in, involve property management into our solution? 
Whereas any agent out there, if they were to bring us a property management, anyone, we will give you a margin that you are currently making now. So let's, I mean, I don't, hypothetically, let's say you get like your 50% margin or something. And then let's say that you no longer have to do any of the day-to-day work. It'll be done back office now. But all the consumers will still get to see your brand. And then in addition, because we now know we want to be involved in everybody in that in that ecosystem, imagine there are tenants. And imagine you know the when the lease will expire for a tenant, and you can now talk to the tenant and engage them with software to see whether they want to buy their mm-hmm. next house or do one. And then you can also now talk with owners. And maybe the owners want to sell their current investment property because you already have the underwriting done, you know how it's performing. Or maybe they want to buy more and you know similar to in their portfolio of what they're doing. So now you have a platform to not just engage your current owners, you now can engage tenants, you also can engage those owners if they want to buy a new home for themselves. Mm. So you just added onto the platform something that is not looked at in this market at all. And you did that without having to actually buy the house. So that means if you take the competitors who are literally having to spend on average $250,000 per house and they're having to hold that on their books to get to that transaction, now imagine you are able to do it with your agents and give them a tool that brings them by far more leads than they ever imagined and never had to buy the house. (laughs) So now brought something to the market mm -hmm. at zero cost and just boost your overall general business. I think zero is the word. To make this practical, what's interesting to me about what you just articulated is that you could plausibly not make money on property management. If you're in property management and that's all you're doing, sounds like a terrible idea. Exactly. But if you've got access to the commission, I believe it was Bezos that famously said, your margin is my opportunity. Exactly. So to be able to collapse that and to have access, really greater access, because the property management company, that let's say is operating off of a healthy 20% margin right now, is under extracting the revenue opportunities surrounding the transaction, the tenant buying program, getting existing owners to buy more properties. Those programs tend to be pretty anemic. And there's a lot of pressure on price right now. A lot of pressure, and that's that's not gonna go away realistically. So. I think what comes up for me is when we talk about distinction between the agent function in this capacity, what is the segmentation of bifurcation? What is the agent actually doing in this paradigm where all the back office stuff is happening? Exactly what they should be doing. What do agents do? If you think of an agent, what do you think? It's a consumer facing relationship. Exactly their job. <laughs> so and they're so handling the leasing. Exactly. This takes out, you don't even have to handle the leasing. It's just the face. So if you were to take off all the back office, because leasing is what? A, document of which can be digital when they sign it. So that can be, that's tech, that's built. (laughs) So really it's a matter of meeting with an owner, having that owner on board and make sure that the face keeping up with that owner. And so imagine if now an agent sits at their desk, they look at their laptop and they can see all of the owners of which they refer to the software brought on the platform and all of their tenants and look at what they're looking for. And imagine they can customize what is there. Coin the phrase, that's real intel, right? That is literally the agent providing real estate intelligence on their own to these people on a customized level. And that can even be based from a lot of artificial intelligence that comes from the general system to find them the best leads for these users. Um, But that allows that agent to now engage users on a whole different scale that never happened before. And if your goal as a company is to help your agents 
make more sales, then you definitely can take a lost leader in tapping into just the DIY market is 15 million um, do-it-yourself landlords, 63 million tenants, but you add in the managed properties and then you just open it up to another, you know, almost uh, 30 million new users. So the, the market there is just monstrous. And so there's a wide open door of, of the fight to get to the consumer because right now consumers ultimately go to search. But imagine if search didn't exist anymore because I just sent you the leads customized to what you want. I mean, think of it like Tinder. Tinder. <laughs> I mean, we used to want, we used to go and put ads out, right? This is how the singles used to involve. Uh, now they really come to you as leads. That same disruption is about to come into real cool. estate. The metaphor again, though, is that Tinder controls demand. Exactly. Like I'm no, I am no longer looking for transportation. I'm either calling Uber or Lyft. That's exactly right. And, and anything outside of that is a giant pain in the rear. That's exactly right. If you can you almost uh, find it annoying to do what used to be disruptive. You're almost like, that's annoying. I don't want to search. You just tell me what the answer is. Right? If you can get to that kind of market share, let's wait even deeper into the theoretical before pulling back out into, into the practical. What opportunities do you see for predictive analytics around a purchasing event? Let's say you have 100,000 tenants in the system. Yes, you can call people individually and ask, are you interested in buying? Do you see there being an opportunity for using big data, which is uh, big data is like, it's one of these exciting ideas, but oftentimes it's unrealized. How much potential do you see for being able to actually preemptively anticipate these events and suss them out? Well, I agree on, on your one point, like big data is a big word to use, but just imagine like all the data that we could have here. I mean, I could get you a terabyte of every single word and every single movement I'm doing here, right? But the in transaction, all that is, really useful mm -hmm. and so getting to that in transaction is really more important about big data is being able to take the data and make it useful right and so when it comes to this yes it's very uh, market changing because uh, anyone listening knows and can hear uh, what I'm talking about and you're gonna know this but if you have any tenants if you have any rentals how many of you ever have gotten a lead from any of your tenants and I have yet to have anyone ever say yeah, they got a lead from common, their tenant. For sure. But by far, of all the consumers they touch, by number, what's the largest consumer they touch? Mm -hmm. These tenants. Right. <laughs> they go through them often. They go through applicants, too. And so here they are. They have already paid the cost to get these people in their door. And they basically say no. Hmm. Like, uh, no, hmm. I won't sell you anything. And so they have already taken on this cost. And this is opening up that entire door to now imagine that that user is doing just like you said. Controlling demand is being able to create a solution that builds into that experience, helping you solve your problem. And helping you, I'm talking about that tenant. And so if that tenant is looking to move, well, why not be there? Why not be the place, they already make their rent payment, they pay their utilities, they, manage, they can manage subscriptions on there. Why not be the place to now engage to find somewhere either else to buy, somewhere to look? And you can do that by a lot of the history within that data. So it, just to give some examples of things, imagine, it doesn't have to be like, all right, I'm gonna give you data, so I'm gonna tell you exactly what I'm looking for. Because most people think of search and they start filling out all these white boxes and they don't even know. But it could be as something as simple as, you know, where in the general places are you traveling, um, you know, that you like to be. So you could find like, I, you know, based on this app, it looks like you work here, you live here, you take your kid to day school over here. You go to this shopping center more 
turns out if you lived here, <laughs> you would probably save about, you know, about 30 minutes a day. So that's just one data point that you can put in, you know, as we call big data to really poach a, a user. Whereas, you know, they're not looking, but now you can offer them say, hey, there are rentals in this area that would save you this amount of time, this amount of time. That's just one offering that definitely is gonna at least intrigue you. And then if you could also look at just some basic pictures that you looked at, like things that you like, we can now take houses and customize all of that mixed into the type of house you like. Well, maybe you need like one with yards, maybe you have a dog, uh, maybe you like more of a second floor where you have a view. And so putting all that together, means that we can really make a, a nice comparison to where you live now mm -hmm. to make it more appealing to want to find that new place. And when it comes to the competition, what is right now is daunting for a tenant to say, okay, if I go to the marketplace, I basically am saturated with satiation because there's so many things to look at. If I do search, everything's available to me, right? But the end point is that they're not gonna move everywhere. They're only gonna move to one place. That's either a place they bought or it's a place that's rented. <laughs> and so if you can figure out what that new place is in advance, then really they only want to see one place. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's where we can get the customization. It's not that we can get there now, but the more we learn about that, we can help them make the better decisions to now find, you know, where it's all they're talking about now is rent pricing or the final things. And so to get to that point means we can search doesn't exist anymore. It'll be something that you're like, I'm not searching. That is just too daunting of a task. Just like you did with Tinder, you're like, that, that's not something I want to do. It's like, give me the answer I'm looking for right now. And that is technology now bringing to the table an agent. Because who's going to be the face of closing that? That's a lead to the agent. And if I can get you, say, weeded down from what was going to be mm. a million things you're looking at mm. to three specific things that you are very interested in, guess who's going to help you pick? And if that is a lead to an agent, that's pretty compelling to all sides of that story because one, you as a user appreciate it because you didn't have to go through a bunch of stuff, a bunch of hassle. And the agent definitely appreciates it because they just got a lead where before they never touched any of those tenants. And it wasn't the agent who was doing the heavy lifting on that. It is the tech that's doing the heavy lifting that brings those people to the table. And it's similar, the reason I like to compare it um, to a dating site is because it's very similar. Like you're trying to put all these people together, but ultimately there has to be some chemistry. Mm -hmm. Like you can't just bring people together. Right. It's like, oh, it's perfect. Like there has to be some chemistry. And the same thing happens in most negotiating or transactions. There ends up being a relationship that takes place and that's where a buyer, seller, and an agent will still exist. But to find out what they're talking about is really where the tech comes in. So this is a really compelling narrative and I would love to see you guys succeed. There's obviously going to be a lot of challenges along the way. You've made some pretty strong headway, but still pretty fair ways to go thus far. The thing that comes to mind for me is why now in terms of timing? We mentioned KW earlier, but talking about in abstract brokerages, large national brokerages are a lot more interested in residential property management now than they were a decade ago. It used to kind of be the dusty back office, kind of a laughing stock, like these are the people that failed out of traditional real estate that now run property management companies. Mm -hmm. That was the mentality, but now the dollars are coming in. You have uh, institutional venture-backed residential property management companies. You've got the mines, you've got OneRent. There's so much movement in this space. 
why is it that the large brokerages now assign a bunch of value to this space, whereas before they it was a mix of apathy or outright saying telling their agents that they shouldn't be doing that because it's a distraction and noise. And they used to tell them like do higher up. I mean the bigger volume of transactions, but right. but uh, I like to make the comparison. Um, again, to, it's it's within the space, but think of a cab driver and the meter drop. <laughs> so when a cab driver gets you in, and now you have Uber, but the same. Uh, same comparison. You get in the car, and the first thing the cab driver does is he hits the meter, right? right. So you got to pay the meter drop, which is like, even to get back out of the cab, you didn't go anywhere. You paid four bucks, right? So that's a meter drop. So that's really about the transactions. Like as many as those I can get, I can happen. So what happened is they they used to say, okay, if you're a cab driver, try to get to the airport because that's going to be like forty five minutes, and you'll make the most. And then all these cab drivers are like, oh, that's okay, except for they learn, like, the more meter drops I can get, yeah, that's actually, the more I'll make. Right. And so all of a sudden, they're, like, trying to do small transactions. They're like, I'll take you around the corner. I'll take you. So then all these cab drivers got into real dense areas where I'll just take you anywhere. Oh, yeah, jump in. I'll drive you anywhere. Because they're all just trying to make four bucks. They don't really mm-hmm. care about anything over that. Right. And the exact same thing is happening in our industry because people are starting to recognize with technology, they all of a sudden can turn single-family rentals, and they're saying that. The highest number of transactions happen in single family rentals, not multifamily. Multifamily is definitely the bigger ticket items. That's the airport. But the meter drop is happening in single family rentals. There are so many of them and it's, you know, it's over a trillion dollar industry. So how can you ignore it? Um, it is just so robust and there's so much going on in so many different avenues that there is not an industry in this country that can ignore it right now. It touches everyone and everything. What are your thoughts on the disruption coming from the brokerage side, not for the folks that are enabling the agent to do property management, but you got Compass, Purple Bricks, <clears throat> a lot of movement on that side of the industry and a lot of animosity. I don't know if you saw the interview between Brad Inman and Gary Keller that came out I about, heard of it, but about six months ago. It was basically these two the classically different perspectives. Brad takes kind of the perspective of the disruptor. Gary is representing uh, the individual realtor, yeah. and these are really opposing at odds. Do you have any opinions or, or thoughts on the compasses of the world? Um, yeah, I think there's a, I mean, first of all, SoftBank is definitely a name. I don't know if you're familiar of with their course, name. Yeah. You have to uh, kind of put in this because they put almost a billion, you know, into uh, Compass and then, you know, Open Door themselves raised almost a half a billion. So there's been a tremendous amount of money pop into this all of a sudden. And one of the things I think that is frustrating is, you know, Gary basically gets written off as, as the old hat. And, uh, and that's where I think there's, you know, a lot of change that you're about to see where um, it's, you know, and good comparisons like Walmart. Walmart's one of the old um, hats that is now a, a tech company. <laughs> so Walmart has made the turned the corner. And now they're even integrated with Google. Um, they're now have, helping a number of different companies on their tech front. And so Keller Williams is one of those names. Keller Williams now, you know, is so robust and involving in tech that uh, people I think are, are going to be quite shocked at how they're involved. And, and the real reason that is the core of this that's really taking on the fight or where the fight is, though may, many may not know it. And it's really about the consumer. <laughs> and most uh, don't recognize that. And so I, I don't quite understand the Compass model still, to be honest. I, I don't quite understand what the point of buying, paying a premium on all the top producing offices. You gotta spend that billion dollars. <laughs> That's the only thing I can understand. I'm like, I guess they just have money so they have to spend it. I'm like, I'd love to give you some other reasons, but but it seems like uh, that's sort of a market play. And so once they have it, they think they'll take it. But 
Um, I don't quite understand. Um, Open Doors, at least, you know, coming with a different proposition. Uh, you're seeing Zillow basically having to turn their model and they are trying to court agents. Right. And so the one thing that keeps pointing is you see Keller Williams already sitting on what everybody is ultimately fighting for. So the biggest asset they're all trying to get, Keller Williams is already sitting on. So you got to think of like, what is there? What are they preparing for? And they're not trying to get the agents, they have them. They're really trying to prepare for consumers. Mm -hmm. And the story we kind of mapped out. And again, I'm not talking on behalf of Keller Williams. I'm totally just talking about interview, what I see from the outside. And consumers are such a big player in single family rentals, in single family homes, period. It is the consumer. And so to be involved in that and be anywhere, the closer you can be to a consumer, the more you're gonna succeed in this. And so everybody else who's spending a lot of money trying to get the agents, they still now have the conundrum of how do you get to the consumer? <laughs> and so everybody's trying to play that. Um, Zillow, you saw do that and where they said, well, we have all these consumers come to us and they're just nodes in the data. Like I'm getting their IP address, I'm tracking them as much as I can, but I don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. So then they try to say, hey, claim your property. And they try to do all this stuff and everybody else is like, whoa, 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 why are, you, yeah. why are you coming after me like this? is?" And so Zillow has had this problem of trying to know people and to be, build a relationship directly with a consumer. And this is what's forced them into having to literally own your house. <laughs> like they want to know you so much they're gonna sell it, right? And so that's put them in a position where uh, you know, companies that are successful in this agent business are going to be very trusted by their agents and be able to, you know, securely bring to market a nice consumer um, application that helps people in their day to life. So. I want to close with asking you to take the vantage point of a residential property management company. I want you to imagine that you are running the, the third generation family company of Edgar property management, and uh, you ain't shutting this baby down. Economic theories be damned, like you're running this thing. If, oh, you, were, yes. if you were in that situation, and it's a business is doing three, four million dollars in revenue, there's some decent margin mm -hmm. on that, you know, you're not running into the ground, like it's it's performing well today. Right, right. What would you do in that situation that, did, that wouldn't involve, you know, pivoting into tech? Oh, I don't know if you can really not pivot into tech, but you don't have to own the tech. To pivot into tech, and so I'm glad you asked the question because that's literally I have a property management company that's okay. faced with that exact <laughs> issue, and so it's like, Fair how enough. do you do this? And so literally, what I have told them is like, all right, listen, if we have a team that just does painting, like this team that just goes around and paints our rentals, we have a team that does landscaping, they just do our landscaping, right? We have one that does carpet cleaning, just for hours, then we have one that just does make ready. I'm like, here we are with all of these assets we have built in for our own. But we're getting now pressure from outside as property management is getting pressure. It's like, why aren't we diversifying what is currently our own solution focused in real estate? <laughs> so that's where we have taken the, those type of companies like ours can tap into like a tenant cloud and basically do a la carte and expand their service. So mm. what I'm saying is the old version of like, here's property management, it's in a box, everything fits in, is really what's having pressure. The companies themselves, if they're really taking an open view, there isn't any pressure on them. It's actually a great opportunity for all property managers right now. They just have to take a look at it because what are the biggest costs facing a property management office? It's all the back office. Labor. And we just gave you a technology for free that does all that. So now you can expand what you'd make your largest margins on, which is your services and your markups. And so what brings you the most money, you're able to now expand that and do it on a la carte braces. You don't just have to have, um, so it used to be like, I'm gonna find 
an owner and they have the most properties, that's the golden goose. They don't have to do that anymore. Now they can say, I'm solely going after just my services and I can have broad users. I don't have to be bound by one owner anymore because the back office is so simple that I can manage a thousand owners with a thousand properties. Easy, whereas before I'm trying to do a thousand properties with 20 owners. Okay. So because of that tech front, it's disruptive, but property managers have to look at what are all their, you know, what are they, their value proposition in general and really expand on those. So growth and velocity is a large part of what you're saying. And do I also hear you saying servicing properties outside of your portfolio if you have that maintenance exactly. component? Yep. Interesting. Hmm. In fact, that could become your portfolio. <laughs> you could become, and what's great about it is imagine a portfolio where you get into it where, because there's still relationships, those still exist. And the problem with relationships right now, um, let's, let's say one of ours, and this is a good one in Texas, let's say I have an air conditioning you know, unit that just goes out right. and services air conditioning, which in Texas we do. Big deal. And so um, imagine your property manager does that, and then you have like a local one. There's ABC, Fox, a few of them that do that mm. as a business. Their problem is they go in and build a relationship, they go in and service you. Six months later, you've forgotten who you hired or whoever did it. And unfortunately, Fox spent a lot of money to get you the first time. And now they have to spend a lot of money to try to keep you. Reacquire. And you don't even look at them. Mm -hmm. But as soon as tech is involved, I can now service you and then send you reminders <laughs> um, through it to keep that relationship based because of it. Technology involved. Because who brought you, let's say I'm using Tenacloud again, but who brought you to the table was found through that platform. And so they're managing their own house mm -hmm. on there. And mm -hmm. now you're able to do it. So now that connection that used to be required a portfolio and you having an owner, you can still have the same connection, but you can do a la carte without having to say, oh, I have to waste my time with doing all the management stuff. Because now, not just your rental is up for grabs, it's the house you literally live in. And then take that even to another level and imagine as a property manager, you can say, well, I'm so efficient at managing homes more than anyone else, I'm willing to offer a monthly service fee. So say as a property management company, I can say, hey, your home and all your rentals, 90 bucks per one, I'll just service them all. And I'll provide you kind of a home type warranty where anything breaks, I'll replace it. And I mean, if somebody offers this right now, I will take it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to build it because I'm like, man, I would love this in my own home. I would like, thank you. I'll just send a picture. Some other guy comes and fix it. I'm done. Hallelujah. And yeah, so man. this is where property managers have so much to offer. They're at the forefront. Hopefully they don't get rolled over by not seeing the opportunity. But um, I think just solely focusing on the old squares is, is you know where the pressure is, but their services is on high demand right now. So if I can put that in my own words, to me, resisting the innovation looks like thinking that fee and revenue maximization and cost reduction is a long-term business model. It's, it's not, it's near term. And that's that, you know, get some cream, Flip it, plan on getting out in a couple of years, but if you plan on being here in a decade, that cannot be the long-term business model. Being fuller stack, providing more of the value chain of what the customer needs, and realizing that that maintenance department that maybe you've resisted because it feels like it's a hassle and I'm managing more people and the type of people I'm managing and the labor churn, et cetera, ancillary business units really could be a significant part of the equation going forward. The meter drop. The meter drop. <laughs> All right, and so the meter drop is gonna stick with me. The last question that I ask every single guest is this. Joseph, in your opinion, are entrepreneurs born or bred? Uh, oh, that's a hard one. I have four kids that I hope are entrepreneurial, but man, I think I've spoiled them. 
I definitely think it is. I mean, bread and born is kind of a confusing question, actually, but I would have to say bread. I think anybody can be an entrepreneur. Um, it doesn't take anything. You should do what you're passionate about. But on the flip side, you shouldn't think that um, just to be an entrepreneur means you have to scale anything to any remote size. You can be an entrepreneur in your own right. Uh, my, my parents are both entrepreneurs, not scale type entrepreneurs. They were the lifestyle entrepreneurs, but definitely entrepreneurs. I grew up very poor in reservation. There's not one person in that town that is not an entrepreneur because it's survival and that's what it was. And so, uh, but not all of them were gonna scale a big business, but they were all gonna survive. So, so yeah, I would definitely have to say it's bread given the two options. Cause mm, I like that. That is a really accessible answer, man. <laughs> Everybody's got some of that hustle in them. Exactly. Okay, fair enough. Survive if you put to the uh, test, so yeah. Fair enough. Well, hey, I wish you well on this like, journey that you like. have ahead and uh let's stay in touch maybe we can have you back in a year and kind of see what the progress looks like love it, love it. thanks for watching guys see you soon